0: Hey, if you guys can go ahead and just get your coughing out now, I'd really appreciate that. i just kidding. uh. Hey, I just want to be honest with you here this morning. Um, I got some expectations for you guys today. Because I really want people's life to change. We are not just here to hear another interesting sermon, hopefully interesting, and to get more information about God. We are here to live like him. And so I'm I'm praying this morning that this will be a day that will be the first step in something new in you. The first step in victory, the first step in faith to a a different life, a different way of viewing things, a different way of living, a different way of obedience. Okay? So I want you all to be honed in today, all right? And we're gonna check back in. I'm, I'm gonna be asking you what you're doing with this stuff. All right? Today, we're going to be examining the way of abundance, Jesus' way of abundance. And really, to begin wrapping your minds around um, this way, we really have to go back to the very beginning of creation. In Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created a world that was designed to be abundant. The Bible says that on the third day, God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land... That bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And we see evidence of this in nature in the fact that one tree can produce multiple fruit year after year after year, right? And that fruit contains multiple seeds that can produce multiple plants and trees, which yields more and more fruits and vegetables. In fact, I know nothing about nature, so just putting that disclaimer out there. But I read this week that one tomato plant easily generates enough for thousands enough seeds for thousands of new plants one tomato thousands of new plants that is amazing and this principle of abundance didn't end with nature right when god created adam and eve one of his first commands to them was what be fruitful and multiply and so humanity has the ability to be abundant right Two two people, husband and wife, they can produce multiple children. The Duggars got that message loud and clear, right? As did Wellspring, apparently. But God's nature, his way, his design is abundance. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm 104. It's page 418 in your pew Bibles, Psalm 104. So this is before Jesus. This is the Old Testament. And here in this psalm, the psalmist describes several characteristics. He gives several examples of God's abundant nature. Look at the descriptive language that he uses. We're going to bounce around a few verses. Look at verse 11. They give water to all the the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Look at verse 13. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. Verse 16. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. Verse 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. 25. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number quenching, satisfying, full, teeming, beyond number, all the language of abundance. It's who God is, and it's what he does. And so how did God's abundant nature get put on display in the life and ministry of Christ? That's what we're going to look at today. One of the verses that Christians are most familiar with is John 10.10. And that verse goes like this. I have come that you may have an adequate amount of life. Right? No? Oh, I'm sorry. Maybe I got that wrong. Oh, this is what he said. In kind of a mission statement of sorts, he said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. All right? Or other translations say, to the full. Right? So, I want you to keep all of this in mind, okay? God's character, his, his nature, His design, what Jesus said He came to do to give us abundant life. As we take a look at a very familiar story this morning, I want you to turn your Bibles over to Mark chapter 8, page 705. Page 705, Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> starting in verse 1 it says during those days another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat jesus called his disciples to him and said i have compassion for these people they have already been with me 3 days and have nothing to eat if i send them home hungry they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance So, first of all, it's important for us to understand that this is the second time that something like this has happened. If you would look back a couple chapters to Mark chapter 6, we've already talked about the feeding of the 5,000, okay? So this, you know, where Jesus took two fish and five loaves and multiplied it and fed everybody to the point where there were leftovers. So this should have been very recent in the memory of the disciples, like maybe a few weeks or a few months ago at most. But despite that recent miracle, how did the disciples respond in this situation? Look at verse 4. His disciple answers, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? It's late. There's no stores around. And even if there was a store, they wouldn't have enough food to, to feed all of these people. I guess we're just out of luck. how could they be so stupid? (laughs) I mean, despite the abundant provision they had just seen God do, they respond to him with a scarcity mentality, a way of viewing their situation through the limited resources of the world, right? We don't have money. The stores wouldn't have enough bread, so I guess we're just not gonna be able to pull it off. Makes perfect sense from a logical perspective rational perspective, right? Most of us would have arrived at the same conclusion, right? We're looking at the numbers, we're looking at what we got, and we're thinking, this does not add up. We better send them home before they starve to death. Who were the disciples focusing on to fulfill the need? Themselves, right? They're thinking, in my power... I have, I, there's no way I can do anything about this situation. Okay? Let's look at verse 5. How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. And when they give these numbers, like in the feeding of the 5,000, it says 5,000 men. They don't count the, the women and the children. And so we know that this crowd is 8,000, 10,000 plus, okay? And the disciples, and you can see it in the language of the, of, of the Mark chapter 6 account as well, in their minds, they're thinking about even just the minimum amount. Like they're looking at the crowd and thinking, okay, if we just give these people just enough bread so they don't starve to death, just enough to get them back home, and you know, there's going to be no way we can do it. And while the whole time Jesus is thinking, how do we give them leftovers, right? Because this wasn't a feeding, this was a feast, if you look at some of the different language, the translations of verse 8, they say this, that the crowd was filled or satisfied. It was more than enough. Jesus told him to sit down, relax, <laughs> eat to your heart's fill. And time and again through Jesus' ministry, he provides more than enough. Abundant, over the top, sometimes to the point of being Ridiculous. Okay, to prove his point, I want you guys to turn your Bibles over to John chapter 21, page 757, just a couple books to the right. John chapter 21. This is after Jesus' resurrection, and he's appearing to his disciples, and he's standing on the beach. They've been out fishing. All night long, just a little ways off the shore, haven't caught a thing. Okay? Now let's look at starting in verse 4. It says, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So when Jesus wanted to reveal himself in his resurrected body, how did he choose to do it? He chose to do it by once again displaying his abundant nature, right? He wows them with, I'm gonna give you more fish than you've ever seen. Not just because he could Not just because he could, but because it's who he is. It's who he is. And what does Jesus want our response to be when he shows up and provides in an abundant way? Thanks for the meal? What is he hoping happens? Feel free to answer my question. That we what? That we fully rely on him. Yes. That it increases our faith, right? That we've seen, okay, God did that, so next time I'm in a similar situation, I'm going to believe more than I did last time because I've seen him provide, right? That our faith would grow. He wants us to believe that with him all things are possible. I've shared with some of you guys our, my family's adoption story before, um, we we started the adoption process years ago. It took quite a while, but um, when we turned in our adoption paperwork to sign up to do it, we didn't have any money. We had we had a few thousand dollars from a tax return in our bank account, nowhere close to the twenty five thousand plus dollars that we were going to need to bring this kid home. Right, and it felt foolish at times to move forward under those circumstances. But God just kept providing. We, we applied for grants and we got money. Friends of ours just gave us money, some of you in here. We put on a couple different basketball tournaments two years in a row and made over $10,000. And God just kept providing and providing and providing again and again. And that story ought to boost my faith to the point where I never question again in my life whether or not God will provide The last thing I want is to forget that and to stand around like the disciples that day being like, man, I I wish we just, I wish we knew uh, somebody that could do something about this problem of feeding these people. Like, I wish we had a savior with the power big enough to solve this problem, right? I, I don't want to be that guy. I can imagine Jesus being like, seriously. Instead, what he gets from us far too often is this scarcity mentality. I saw this great definition of a scarcity mentality. We can put that up there. Wrong one. Did I skip ahead? I did. Never mind. Hold that. So take that down, and I'll catch up to where I should be. Okay. So after Jesus left this earth, so we talked about um, you know the stupid how stupid the disciples are. So next thing I should have said was this. After Jesus left the earth and the gospel began to spread, they began taking this message of Jesus around, okay? We see in the rest of the New Testament, the writers, as they're planting churches and getting these new converts, they were very intentional about communicating to those people the abundant nature of Christ, okay? They really wanted people to understand that's who he is. And so they kept kind of hammering this theme again and again to show that, those verses. Here's some of the things that some of the New Testament writers wrote. In Second Peter, he said, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. In Romans, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, they're talking about Adam sinning, how much more did God's grace and that gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Romans 5, for if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Philippians, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. 1 Thessalonians, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. And finally, Ephesians 1, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Overflow, abundant, increase, lavish, Did I mention overflow? Again and again, this language of abundance. Guys, it's who he is. It's who he is. And it's what he wants to do and what he's going to do. And what he's asking of us is to step out into it and to believe in a God that's going to provide abundantly. Instead, what he gets from us is the scarcity mentality. Let's hit that again. All right, bam, now we're on. In our life, the scarcity mentality takes these forms, hoarding our goods, protecting our time from the invasion of others, making sure we're not too worn out by the demands of others' problems and sufferings, Giving only up to the point of pain and sacrifice and then pulling back. Feeling like we can't be a shepherd to others until we have someone who is shepherding us. The scarcity mentality feels like irritation at being interrupted. It feels like comparing what you are doing to what others are doing. Are they holding up their end of the bargain? The scarcity mentality feels like your bank account isn't big enough, or your house isn't spacious enough, or your calendar isn't open enough or you're not old enough to care for others in their need. And you see, the kingdoms of this world tell a story of scarcity. And people in power create fear in the masses. There there won't be enough, right? There's not enough Tickle Me Elmo's. You've got to kill one another and pay thousands of dollars to get Tickle Me Elmo because it's scarce. Those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, Google it. It was crazy. The world was coming to an end. So the kingdom of this world tells a story of scarcity, while the kingdom of heaven tells a story of plenty. And when we move out in ways that honor the heart of God, he will provide. So we begin by asking the questions... What do we know about the nature of God? And what do we know about the heart of God? What do we know that God is about in this world? You tell me. Orphans. What's that? Orphans. orphans. Thank you. He is about orphans, absolutely. What else is he about? We know this. What does he say he's about? What's that? Grace? Yes. Grace? What else? Love? Yeah. Forgiveness? What's that? About us? About us? In every way. <laughs> right? Yeah. Self sacrifice? Yeah. Compassion? He's about finding the lost, right? He's about healing the broken. He's about restoring things that are damaged and messed up and redeeming them for good. These are the things that we know God is about. And so it's important for us in our mind to think about, okay, these are the things that that God says that he's about, and then over here I have to make a list, okay, what do I know about his nature? I know that he is a God of abundance. And then I have to overlay that with these things that I know that he's about. And when we do that, and then we begin to move into the places that we know he's, he's about, guys, listen to me. He's not just capable of doing something. He's obligated to do something. Okay? So when we know that God is about putting orphan children with families, and any one of his children says, I'm gonna be obedient to that and respond and go do that, no matter what your circumstances are, how much money you have, what your situation is, if you begin moving in a way that he says, this is my heart, he is obligated to provide for you because you are being obedient to something that he has is, he is asked that you would do. So how could he not provide? That would, be, that would go against his nature. So how does this get practical? Well, if you've been hurt in a relationship, all of us have been hurt and you're having a difficult time forgiving this other person, and and you're stuck, and you just feel like you can't move forward, if you believe in a God of abundance, and you know that the abundant God's desire is for relationships to be restored and to be healed, he will provide you with the forgiveness that you can't find in yourself. He will, if you trust him. When he puts it on your heart to adopt or foster a child and you look at your circumstances and you say no way, God says yes way, I'll provide, take the first step. In God's kingdom, there is more than enough. Love and joy and forgiveness and grace and compassion and money and time, whatever resource you can think of, to accomplish all that he desires. Listen, guys, we are children of the king of kings. We don't lack for anything. Our father's got big bank, all right? The way of abundance is a new way of thinking for a lot of us. And so I have a few suggestions for how to proceed (laughs) in getting our minds around and seeing this shift in our practices. And first, the first thing that we need to understand is that our mind needs to be transformed. We've we've grown up and we've been ingrained in a culture of scarcity. In Romans 12, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit in you. (laughs) Holy Spirit's job is to transform your mind to begin to see and understand the new way of the kingdom which is very different than the way of the world. But we have to believe it's true as the Spirit is doing this work in us. And with the mind that's being ever transformed, then we grow in our ability to begin to believe the sentiments of Mark 9, 23, which says this, everything is possible for him who believes. Everything is possible for him who believes. And that reminds me of Abraham. Take a look at what the writer of Hebrews said about Abraham. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And if you don't know the story of Abraham and Sarah, go back in Genesis and read it. It's pretty amazing. So what does taking God at his word and living with an abundance mentality look like? Well, a lot of times it looks like this. It looks like those disciples staring out of a crowd of 10,000 people, looking over at Jesus as he holds a few loaves of bread and a couple fish, looking up to heaven, thanking God for the abundant meal we're all about to eat, and then handing it to you and saying, Pass it out. And you're thinking, okay, <laughs> this is going to look really stupid, right? Or the awkward moment when God is pressing on you to give to a person, a church, a cause, and you open your, your checkbook, and you're doing the math, and you're thinking, If I give that amount, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay the bills or eat this month. But writing the check anyways. And trusting that God will provide. For me, it meant finally turning in the adoption paperwork after about five years of trying to come up with reasons why not to do it. When we only had a couple thousand dollars in the bank. And that's often what it looks like to live in the abundant way. It looks foolish and awkward from the world's perspective. And there will be plenty of people around you who are naysayers. So if you're looking for naysayers, you'll find them. You'll find the people that are just practical and logical and just be like, that's stupid. You don't have enough money, you don't have enough time, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. You're gonna find them. People in the Bible found them all the time. (laughs) Noah found them. And through a a transformed mind, a mind that believes that all things are possible, that God is faithful, then we pray and we step out in the way of the God of abundance. And so as we examine our lives here this morning, and our mindset under which we are currently living, where can we acknowledge that we've had a scarcity mindset? Is it our finances, our ability to extend love or grace or forgiveness or compassion or maybe our time? Where's God been tugging on us but we've responded with, there's not enough? We serve an abundant God who has more than enough. So much so that often his provision overflows a lot of times he doesn't just give us what we need he gives us more than we need so that we can share it with other people and encourage them too where do you need to step out in faith with that god of abundance because remember it's who god is it's his way and so as his followers it has to be who we are It has to be our way. And so as we close today, I want to take a few moments to ponder those two questions and then just give you some time in prayer, if you can put those questions up. Where has God been tugging on me, but I've responded with, there's not enough? And then where do I need to step out in faith with the God of abundance? I'm just going to let you sit with those for a few minutes and pray and see what God wants to say to you this morning.